Welcome to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. The first time I ate at the restaurant Smoke and Dough, I thought, am I crazy? Or is this some of the best barbecue I've ever had? I wasn't in Texas. I wasn't in North Carolina. I was at the edge of the Florida Everglades in Miami-Dade. And the barbecue restaurant was by the couple that owned an empanada shop next door, Michelle and Harry Coleman. Well, the New York Times just named Harry and Michelle's restaurant to their annual list of the 50 restaurants in America they're excited about. See, I wasn't crazy. People fall in love with their brisket rubbed with the ground espresso. Harry calls it the cafecito rub. The ribs are glazed with guava chili barbecue sauce, and a luscious flan is smoked for five hours. If you can imagine dessert barbecue, this is it. The restaurant business was a hard left for Harry and Michelle. They both graduated with journalism degrees from Florida International University in 2008. They couldn't find jobs, so they went to work with Harry's dad, who owned bakeries in Miami Beach. But Harry and Michelle followed their own paths. They did something new by opening Empanada Harry's, which makes different styles of empanadas from all over Latin America, from crispy Colombian to sugar-coated Chilean. And they're doing the same thing with smoke and dough. They spent more than two years studying barbecue before they opened the restaurant. They studied with barbecue pitmasters in Kansas City, Texas, Oklahoma. And then they brought in the flavors they grew up with in South Florida to make true Miami barbecue. Let's ask them how they did it. Welcome, Harry and Michelle. Thank well, you. Thank you for such a beautiful introduction. Yes. Well, thank you for not showing up and empty-handed. <laughs> Never. <laughs> like, like we always say, we love when guests show up with little, with something that says something about, uh, you know, the thing that that they're in the studio for. And of course, you showed up with. I'm looking behind me here. We had to put them behind me. Like, there's like a bag, and there's like a a, a, a plastic container with uh, pastrami tequeños. I'm gonna say that again. House-made pastrami put inside Venezuelan-style. Yes. Tequeños. I'm dead already, and I have never even had one yet. Um, thank you guys for, for coming in. Um, I want to talk to you so much about, um, you know, this th- this list, right? Like, I remember thinking going to that the barbecue restaurant uh, over two years ago and thinking, I, 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 you know, this place is this, is, this is some of the best barbecue I've had. And I was a food editor at the Herald, so I've, I'd eaten my way through good barbecue in Texas, North Carolina, what have you. And I was like, I, you know, either I'm either I'm going to be proven wrong or right. And it sounds like, it sounds like you guys have continued that. Um, talk to me about that. Talk to me about making a kind of restaurant that wasn't like a duplicate of what you would find in like a Texas, mm-hmm. but doing something that was very Miami, uh, but still being really true barbecue. Yeah, I mean, I think that what our goal was too was to replicate kind of what we were doing with the empanada shop, which is what you were talking about, which mm-hmm. is this representation of different cultures and different flavors and taking something so amazing, like American-style barbecue and really Miamifying it, you know, like you were saying with you know, our cafecito rub brisket and our guava and, you know, the pastrami tequeños. Tequeños are Venezuelan. And, right, you know, and that's usually just cheese inside. Exactly, yeah. you know, so it's it's about that. It's about pushing boundaries yeah and, and you know we we love texas barbecue kansas city carolinas you know everybody makes great barbecue and we figured if we're gonna do it in miami we're not from those places mm-hmm. we're not gonna open a texas barbecue shop right that's not who we are we want it to be miami and the hispanic culture and the pastrami obviously it's more of a, a jewish deli meat and the pastrami has become, you know, you're one of the first ones to tell me I need to do the pastrami sandwich. Yes. I was like, and, why isn't this in a sandwich, Harry? And, and you know, we, we were 
on the fence about it mm-hmm. and then we add it in it's become a little bit of a a cult classic hit it now really with has. us right people are coming really from very uh, we get people come from you know they're like oh pompano beach you know plantation sunrise and uh, sunny isles sunny isles and they come for the pastrami and And listen we gotta say your your restaurant is on 152nd avenue yes and and 40th street in miami-dade which i'm not kidding it's like you're like 20 blocks from alligators (laughs) yes i know you've taken out your passport a few times to come and visit us my kendall passport (laughs) kendall's the closest thing but it's even like it's like further west than kendall but it's so worth the trip um but you're saying like people have found their way to you and now you guys end up on this New York Times list, which I like. I was so happy to see. I happened to know that writer, and I was, and I said, "You, you made it. You went out there." And he just, he was kind of blown away by it. I'm, I'm curious what your reaction was to that. Oh my god! So, you know, I don't even know. We still can't even comprehend. Comprehend. It, it hasn't, hasn't sunk in. Hasn't sunk right? in. This is honored and humbled, and yeah. I, I don't even. There's, don't even know the you words. know, there's so many American, you know, so many restaurants in America, right? I think it's close to a million restaurants in the United States, some, somewhere around there. And just in Miami, it would be so hard to do a top 50 in Miami list. Yeah, there's like 3,000. There's, uh, I think it's not an exaggeration. So there's something like 3,000 restaurants in Miami. In Miami. So, Miami so alone, just yeah. the top 50 in Miami would be a daunting task to, yeah, to, to put together. Absolutely. You know, it so, was, I feel like, and it, it's funny because the way that we found out that, you know, the story had, you know, published was mm-hmm. that we were, we woke up at, Six, you know, six in the morning. Which right, is, we we were getting ready to take the kids to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my phone starts dinging, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> hmm. Two minutes later, ding. Thirty seconds later, ding. And, and, and I look at it, and the reservations coming in. And luckily, we had we were doing online reservations only. Oh, you just you started only yeah. about two weeks ago oh. yes. because the demand it, it had gotten such a demand that mm-hmm. people kept asking. We were just doing you know pen and paper reservations, and then we're like, we need to go. <laughs> we you got know, fancy. We got fancy. <laughs> we, we, we needed to go online. And it starts thinking, and I go to Michelle, Michelle, it's like 20 reservations in a 10-minute span. We're like, what's going so on? What's going out, on? You find out not like, hey, you guys are in the New York No. Time. It's, hey, you have 20 reservations, right. and yes. it's not 7 in the morning. Yet. Exactly. And, and I go to Michelle, this doesn't make sense. You know, something must have come out. Somebody's and, hacked us. Somebody hacked our <laughs> reservations. Exactly. Yeah. It's basically a joke. But to go back, so we kind of did know a little bit about the New York Times in the sense that we got contacted by their photo editor yeah. in August. Mm-hmm. That they needed some photos. They needed some photos. We didn't. We hear- saw. We saw New York Times. We were like, "All right, yeah, this right is on. awesome." We didn't even know what the context was. <laughs> we didn't even care. So, so two months ago, the photo asked from from photos. So we're like, "Okay, we we send a couple things out, and then we don't hear back for another month, maybe." Yeah. Until uh, you know, the Brett Anderson calls is the writer, mm-hmm. uh, who's uh, you know, James Beard Award winner, just mm-hmm. like you, who's a 2017 Eater. A magazine writer, food writer of the year. Look at you. You have his whole CV yeah, well, committed to memory. Look, you know, there goes our journalism <laughs> there goes our, right? <laughs> right, right. Which is so funny yeah. that, that, you know, because you guys do pay attention to those things. Yeah. From and, a journalism and so he gives us a call just to talk for, we talk for an hour, you know, and, and I'm like, oh, you know, so if you've come out and he had apparently come out a few times months ago, hmm. which obviously we didn't know when he came in, you know, he came in yeah. anonymously and, and he said that at the time he was doing a Texas barbecue story. So he wrote this whole piece on Texas barbecue. He did two different stories, very so large. So thought it was going to be something along those lines, mm-hmm. you know. But but what was interesting is that he goes, you know, I was eating Texas barbecue at the same time and I eat at your place and it was as good or better than what I was having in Texas. So he, that what's caught wow. his eye. And um, 
you know, we talked for, we had a great conversation yeah, for an hour. It was amazing. And we were like, wow, I wonder what the story is going to be That was neat. I can't wait to have one line in, <laughs> yeah. a, in a bigger story about barbecue. And, and then he goes, you know, we'll, we'll see what comes out of this. And that's it. That, that's all we, that was it. that's all we had. And we were just, you know, we're thinking maybe there's a Miami, you know, story on restaurants or barbecue, mm -hmm. you know, no idea, no idea. Never in our wildest dreams did we think it was something it was gonna be, like yeah, this. That list. Well, let me ask you then. I mean, it's been a couple of days since that published. I think just from the pings of your phone, this might answer the question, but how has it changed things for you? So, so we've, the interesting part is that we've had over what, like 80 reservations? Yeah, but there's, and they're scattered. And they're scattered November, December. Yeah. Um, this month, next oh, month. Oh, like people will be down or yes, be yes. somewhere and, from and, another and place. Yes. And you see the area codes and there's New York, Boston, and we've seen different areas. So I'm, I'm assuming Snowbird's coming down and they're. Yeah, I want to make a reservation yeah. <laughs> here for Empanada Harry. So here it's yeah. got a good, it's got awesome brisket, guys. It's got wicked awesome brisket. Yeah, they'd be, yeah, they'd be right. No, it's that, that. And so that's crazy. It's, it's crazy and we obviously it's only been so we closed mondays and tuesdays so yesterday was the first day that we were open for service you know in the week and so we had people coming in and and it's been really lovely i mean people reacting really nice you know talk to me about uh, you know this this idea that what you guys did is um is a bit of a is a bit of a, a lark right like you guys said i'm get, we're gonna do texas barbecue we're gonna do this really well done barbecue we call it texas style barbecue but you know we're gonna do really well done barbecue but you're gonna add Miami flavors. Mm -hmm. How do you keep that from being a gimmick, right? And it rather being something that is actually authentic that you're like, oh, these, if, if Texas barbecue had evolved here, this is the thing, these are the things that you would find. It will, you know, and it's taken a little bit. People at first didn't get the show, right? Like, <laughs> right, like, right. like people, you know, just like, you know, Levitard's that people didn't get the show in the beginning. Yeah, I think um, any fusion concept is always a little bit hard in the beginning. Well, tell me yes. about that because, yeah. like brisket, again, we're we're used to like we're used to grilling, right, mm -hmm. yes. in South Florida. So you'll yes. have like grilled meats, uh, and it's not the same as like a, a brisket. Tell me about some of the challenges where you were you're like teaching people, well, teaching I mean, people the brisket. Look, we get the people that know, and then we get you know, let's say older Miami families, mm -hmm. you know, Hispanic families will come in and they'll be like, oh, okay, uh, pero dónde está el bistec? <laughs> Yo quiero churrasco oh, people y el arroz. For, uh, right. <laughs> you know? Rice and beans. And so, yeah, rice and, beans, and yeah. so that was, that was, but it was great because then they tried and they're like, oh my God, pero que rico. You know? Oh, and and, and the, the, I mean, even my parents, my parents had no idea what brisket was when I first introduced them, you know, and my dad's like, you, my dad's like, you know, I'm like, it's not ready. He, my dad, the fir, you know, the first few times he saw me cooking brisket and he goes, it's already been like nine hours. He goes, he goes that's ready. <laughs> it's like everybody yeah. standing around the lechon right. uh, yes. during, during Christmas. Like, yes. when is this lechon going to be ready? ready? So even just with my parents, I had to introduce them to it and understand the concept. And when we took out a brisket at my parents, house, my dad's like, okay, let's eat. I go, no, it needs to rest. And my dad's like, it's ready. It's been sitting. How much more? <laughs> another you know? hour, another hour. Yeah. Dad. So, so in the beginning, that was... What, that itself people, was was and, and, an introduction to to my or own. for people to come in and you know let's say we in the beginning we didn't know how much output of briskets to smoke and mm -hmm. we will run out sometimes in the beginning i'm talking about nowadays we rarely run out because yeah. we we smoke enough to have and we should say that that is a very much a barbecue thing yes you show up early you wait in line it's been texas mm -hmm. you know all you uh, North Carolina, you wait in line, maybe you have a beer if it's early enough right. in the day or if nobody's looking <laughs> and you, then you get your, and the barbecue runs out. It's a thing. It runs yeah. out for the day. And that's not a thing that Miami customers no. are used to. So no. Right? So that's, I mean, that's something that we were actually yeah. just talking about how turning it into Miami style barbecue, we could talk about the fusion and the flavors and, you know, kind of multicultural, 
But it's also about recognizing your diners. The barbecue culture and yes. teaching the barbecue it's culture. It's Miami. I'm sorry. We're about, we're going to show up. I'm going to have a pair of heels on and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to eat good food. You know what I mean? I don't right? think we're used to this idea of like, we're going to wait in line. And so I think that that's kind of what we're tackling is, is that we want, um, we want husbands to take out their wives and come to the restaurant and have this prime, you know, brisket that's been smoking for 15 hours, resting, you know, and, and really, truly enjoying it. And it being like a, a special experience. Oh, I like what you're saying here. So it's not just like it's it's the it's also the fusion of Miami uh, restaurant culture, exactly. right? Like show up in your heels, you know, you got your you're going out shirt, Harry, <laughs> you got a tie on, like dress up nice to go have barbecue versus you know like the yeah. you know wait in line outside sweating. the cooler and sweating, sweating for, for, a, <laughs> for a piece of barbecue, right? And, and that's it. So yes, yeah, Miami style we incorporate the, you know the Hispanic or or the pastrami, the Jewish, but it's also like what Michelle was saying. Miami people are different. It's a different animal down here, right? For for any so we understood that we couldn't just have people wait in line for a long time for for the meats and we understood didn't that people didn't want to just order at the counter like in texas texas you know you go to the counter i'll have half a pound of this i'll have some ribs that the two sides and i'll sit and i'll, and I'll sit no we knew people wanted to come in sit down be served be served yeah. eat their tapas right we have tapas which is not a custom barbecue thing we have all our tapas somehow have smoke infused in it right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we we knew that as Miami people, you have your tapas, you have your, you know, your vinito, your wine, then you order your meats and, and, and it has to be everything flowing a little bit at a time. People don't just want to be thrown everything in the beginning. And I think that what people now are seeing is that that's Miami style barbecue, yeah. right? It's not just the flavors, it's the whole experience. Yeah. And, and, and then even like you said, the desserts, we have smoked ice cream now that's on the menu. Yeah. We, we smoke oh, our, so, so we cold smoke cream. our cream mm -hmm. and then we make a vanilla ice cream and we serve it with brownies. And it's not for everybody because, you know, the ice cream is smoked. But our but whole idea is experience. we're we're pushing the boundaries in what can we smoke and how much smoke we could put in things, right? From from the tapa to your entree to your side to, to your, your dessert. dessert. And that's what um, I think that we've tried to create among with the atmosphere, yeah. Miami style yeah. barbecue. Right? I think our, our, our whole life motto is we're not going to be ordinary ever. And I think that that kind of just plagues us daily <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like it also inspires you you mentioned you mentioned harry that your dad uh you said that even your dad didn't get it and i think the reason that resonates is your dad uh is a longtime baker mm -hmm. i mean their your family is chilean originally yes. emigrated to venezuela, venezuela where they had bakeries right and he is owned for years um moises bakery on yes. miami beach and for a long time they owned uh Charlotte, yes. Charlotte Bakery on like south, closer to South Beach, and, and there was so a period he go, there. He comes from a background of of cooking. So when you say you had to teach even your dad, like there yeah. was there was a learning curve. When there was a period there next to Charlotte, we had opened a cafe, and it was a lot of Argentine style grilled meats. Mm. So my dad is, you know, you you put your entraña, your skirt steak, your chorizos, you know, and your, in seven minutes it's ready yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and delicious. And, and that was that was. You know what I tell people at the restaurant, because, you know, I'm like, you want people to really enjoy the brisket and understand it's been a work of art, right, to get to your table. This is not a, you know, a ribeye that you throw on the grill, you know, four minutes on one side, five minutes on the other and serve it. This is something that's taken. Somebody has to trim it. We inject our meat to, to add more flavor to it. Um, and then we, you know, we smoke it, we let it rest. And the person that loads the briskets for us is not the person that's taking them out. Because it takes 15 hours. So we have, you know, it, it's... Staff changes yeah, uh, staff built changes. around, yeah. built so around this thing. It's a true team effort. It's a yeah. true team effort. Really and, and, and we're talking about, 
something that takes that long. It's it's you can't just run out of meats and be like, oh, let me put a few more and I'll have them ready for you know for later. No, that's it. We, you know, it's it's and that's think, what makes it special. I think that going back to what you were saying about um, not making it gimmicky mm-hmm. is that we're taking the flavors that we know and that we understand and we're respecting them. Like for example, we do mofongo on Saturdays. I'm Puerto Rican, and so we wanted to take mofongo and just like level it up right like if we're gonna do this we're gonna do it amazing and we put like our smoked pork belly like in the actual mofongo base which is not traditional it's usually like chicharron you know that kind of thing so people are coming out and eating that and we're getting puerto ricans saying this is better than what we get back home and for me that's I mean, there's really no other. That's validation. Because yeah, that's, like there's no that's better a, compliment. That's authentic you to know? who and you guys are. And the same thing is happening with, you know, with the pastrami and with uh, with our sides, with uh, the tapas. I mean, it's just everything well, is I, done with And, so and it's taking a little bit, Carlos. Yeah. You know, it's we've been over a year and a half, and I think we're hitting all cylinders right now. You know, it, it takes a little bit to... You got to learn the tango. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I want to ask you more about that, about this learning curve, because for you guys personally, it was it was a hard left. You guys did not go into this, did not did not think at any point that you guys would be opening restaurants. Our guests today are Harry and Michelle Coleman. They're the owners of Smoke and Dough Barbecue Restaurant in Miami. It was just added to the New York Times annual list of restaurants they're excited about. The restaurant world for you guys was not what you expected when you graduated from college, right? Like... Harry, you were, you like me, were a journalist. And Michelle, you were studying to be a, a pages designer with, within Correct. journalism, right? Yeah. So, okay, talk me through where you were at that point in your lives before that switch. Well, you know, we, we graduated recession year, 2008. Um, I was working at the Sentinel from pretty much my second year at FIU to the end. So I thought I had a job at the Sentinel lined up. No questions asked, right? I was, you know, covering the Dolphins. I was covering UM. I was covering big things that that I at such a young age. And, and yeah, doing, you must have been. Yeah, you were nineteen, eighteen, nineteen yeah, years old. I was there, and I was there when, and I think you were there too when Coach Saban said, "I'm not going to be the Alabama coach," right? <laughs> so I was there that day, and I was freaking out. You know, we're all spitting on the floor here. Yeah. Too. <laughs> so so I was doing all these things, and I thought, you know. It's going to be great. I'm going to graduate. We're going to I'm going to be a sports that. writer. Yeah. Michelle was was designing amazing stuff in, in the pages on Adobe InDesign. And we figured that was our, you know, what we were going to do. And then when I graduated, the Sentinel said, uh, we like you, but there's no, no full-time job. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 2008, we should remind folks, it was kind of the nadir for the publishing industry. Like yes. uh, yeah. a lot of newspapers around the country any, and publishing books too also uh, were laying off and were cutting budgets and what have you. I'm curious what got you each interested in journalism what what like why were you even because i know you met in school right yeah, in the journalism we did, we at did. uh the Flo- at the florida panther what's the the newspaper called at the fiu it was the beacon the beacon and now Sorry. it's panther now yeah, right no, yeah well i got in because i was i love sports i loved writing but i wasn't good enough to play professionally right <laughs> so i figured what's the next best thing so <laughs> many so many filled uh, filled oh, athletes yeah. become sports writers well, yeah. I, I i like i really i've always loved art i like to paint and draw and mm. and you know i i found an outlet you know with design and and and, and interviewing people I, I love talking to people. I can't shut up sometimes. So I thought, oh, wait, let me see. I could design here. That's good your for the radio show. We like that. We like that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I always worked at, you know, my high school newspaper. I think we were, I was uh, editor-in-chief of the newspaper. Where did you go to school? 
I did my last year here in in Miami and at Doral Academy. We were the first graduating class. Did you were you raised in Puerto Rico or did I was? Yeah, what yes, what parts? I was born and raised. I uh, I went to school in Santurce. Mm-hmm. My parents had their shop in El Viejo San Juan, so it was close to them. But we lived in Cagua. It was like an hour drive, but we you know. What kind of shop did your parents have? My dad's a jeweler. Oh, he was a jeweler. Yes. Is yes. he still a jeweler in Puerto He's Rico? Still a ju- no, he, they're here. Oh, they're here now. They are here. We are all here. Oh, awesome. Yes, it's really, really great. And, and I know, and Harry, for you, that was, journalism was a big departure, right? Because your dad was just in bake. He was a baker. And I'm I'm curious, what was his, what was his advice to you like when you were doing a, having a college career? Because that wasn't his path. No. So he, he, he was one year short of graduating college arts right and that's the arts is what got him into the baking because my grandma had a bakery this was where in venezuela in venezuela and um my mom my grandma hired you know an italian guy to teach him and he and he was since he was an artist it came naturally to him to to do cakes and and you know cook and stuff and he did not want me to be in the bakery business so he, he was he was uh he was studying a different career but 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 he finished. He didn't finish school. He didn't he, finish college. He didn't finish school. He got into the bakery business, and because they needed to, I assume it was a family, the family business. He wanted to help out my grandmother, mm. and um, then my dad came on a contract in the United States in '89 and started working here in a huge uh, bakery. And then shortly after that, they opened Moises. Right. They like yeah. took it over, right? It was Moises was like another guy. It was, it, was, it was a Jewish bakery. They they didn't have enough money to change the name. <laughs> so they left it Moises. And then once they got a staple. you know, it got popular, they're like, We can't change the name anymore. So it stayed Moises. There's no Moises. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And yeah. so so then you guys graduate from school and there are no jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and especially with, with my my you know, designing print, that's like the year print kind of just started to dissolve right like I was, everything I was a started dinosaur. going to yeah like, i walked out of school a dinosaur oh my god i know <laughs> but we had worked together at the bakery throughout college and he threw me in there you know right like just well d- making... during college you know the newspaper didn't pay very much at fiu it was pretty much you know volunteer <laughs> right. work and so we started working. and we worked at uh, weekends at the bakery yeah. so she worked which one with at, me? Moises at, or at charlotte at charlotte, at charlotte mm-hmm. yeah we worked there together and we learned you know the ins and outs working together and so we worked at the beacon together and then we worked together at, you know at the bakery we had classes together so yeah. we're very good at working together because yeah. working a lot of people don't understand they right it's not for time. everybody for couples to be together yeah. all day right it's not you know i don't recommend it but for some people for us it's great so when we're not together it's weird <laughs> and, oh that's funny yeah. so you guys have learned to work together ever since you were since we met 19 20 years old and i think it's funny because we both grew up with parents that worked together Oh, right. and that had their own businesses, yes. and they worked together. And they worked together. And so See, my parents were jewelers. Also, my mom worked the front of the house, yes. and my dad, or my mom worked the back of the house. My she did all the numbers, that's and my how, dad worked exactly the front. Exactly. There was a parents. little window that mm-hmm. separated them. When they got in each other's nerves, <laughs> it would kind of slide <laughs> that window closed. And was there, was even when you guys were at the bakery working for your dad, uh, Harry, was there a little bit of that? Did you guys find your own spaces? Did you find yeah, things I, that I you liked? Yeah, I don't let Harry come out of the kitchen. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. no we, we're, we work really well together. Yeah, and so what we did at Charlotte is that we, I started playing around with empanadas there, um, away from the traditional, and I wanted to learn every job at the bakery. So that was my goal. I'm going to give you, know, if I'm going to do this, I need to learn how to make cakes. I need to learn how to make desserts, the empanadas, the doughs. I need to learn everything. Because if once you don't, if, if when you own a restaurant, because a lot of people want to open restaurants, right? Oh, I love restaurants. 
but you need to learn how to do every position in that restaurant because you don't want a chef to be like, you know, I'm leaving or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then what? And, and then, then what? what? Then you got to be able to cook. Yeah. Or you have to, you know, you got to know where, you know, how to, everything, every everything. every step. If that yeah. one person is out, you got to be able to step in for them. So, so I did every, you know, I want to say station, but, you know, I'm talking pastries, you know, everything. I, I started learning everything. My dad started teaching me. So my dad didn't want me to do it, but he wanted me, he still wanted to teach me, right? Right. And, and I, re, I know now why he didn't want me to do it. He, you know, he goes, you know, we paid for a, a degree for you. You know, th- that way you didn't have to be like me sacrificing weekends, holidays, nights. Because it's tough. It's a tough business and it's tough on your body. Mm-hmm. And I realize now why my dad, you know, was, I guess, against it in the beginning. But obviously now he's very happy for us. And He's I, and come I, around. He's come around and, and he's come around too because the journalism world changed right we graduated just like michelle had said there was not too many good jobs i didn't want to leave miami i love miami i didn't want to leave this city Mm. uh there was opportunities for me in iowa or things like small little papers and for me to leave miami was a nightmare a nightmare i didn't want to leave my family i didn't want to leave the city the culture um but also because i feel like what you do is just it just comes so naturally you know harry in the kitchen it's even when he cooks for me at home, I just I just sit there with my glass of wine and I stare, <laughs> you know, just like in awe. What, like, the, oh what, what, is he, what things does he make at home when he's not? Oh my god! We, I've like, seen your Instagram, so I know there's all kinds of exciting things. Fresh pasta, paellas. We have a pizza oven. You guys have a real like a monster yes. real like brick pizza oven yes. or something yes. like that. Yes, it's, it's yeah, it's exciting. not like the little unis like no, the, the one that I have. At I, home. I, you know what's the worst part? It takes three hours to to get the heat going, and then the pizza takes some <laughs> <Two> minutes. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Day. Oh man, but that ending uh, product is is super worth it. Oh, it's and amazing. it's it's really beautiful. Our kids cook with us. They make dough. Like it's just it's it's brought our whole family together. Well, that's interesting that it's brought your family to get together in that way. But I'm sure there was a point where you pitched your dad, said, "Dad, I am gonna open a bakery. I'm gonna open a bakery, not just a bakery. I'm gonna go specifically an empanada shop, yes. and I'm gonna make empanadas from." all over so all these different you know different dough textures different cooking methods and all these things your dad thought what so he liked the empanada idea but he goes you know you have to have your traditional cakes and your bakeries you know you you know when you walk into a bakery and they have the the, the cake display and the big the fluffy cake yes. yeah and we were like no we're not gonna we're, we're not gonna just do that. gonna do empanadas and we bought you know this what like how how big is our our case? And or, he was like, it's too big. He goes, he goes, how many empanadas are you gonna have? He goes, that's huge. And I go, you know, this is this is what I want to do. I want to do all these them. And this is just us and Michelle. So my dad's not an investor in the business, right? Like right. we opened, we yeah. wanted to open just. Yeah, we were us. able to emancipate, right? Like kind of like hmm. two birdies from you know. We were able to now we're like okay, we have all of our experience. Now let's do what we want to do. Well, part of that explains why you guys opened in a place like really wet, like unincorporated Miami Dade, yeah. which is like, hey, if you know, you could open at Windwood and right and pay like ten thousand dollars a month in rent uh, for like a five hundred square foot. Right, <laughs> ten thousand would be cheap. Yeah, right. it would be yeah. cheap, but that's why like five hundred square foot. Uh, no, we we lived in that area and um, we mortgaged our house to oh, wow. open it. So there was. No, was no failing. failing. We couldn't just open the business and be like, eh, it didn't work out. We, you know, we would lose our house. We, we would all lose chips in. Wow. Everything. You know? And you and you guys took a, a real interesting thing, which is not like, I think it's why you're originally, you're, maybe your dad couldn't understand because you're like, oh, you make five kinds of empanadas and that's it. 
but you were like, I'm going to make 23 different kinds of, and I'm going to invent. Like there was one that was like a truffle mac and cheese yeah, with which like, it's still in the menu. With like yeah. porchetta or bacon or something inside. Yeah. Uh, give me some other of the inventive ones. The, you were the, the crazy ones. I did a paella negra empanada of the month. Oh, like with like squid ink? Yeah, yes. squid ink. And we yeah. would serve it with like the aioli on the side. That was phenomenal. Oh my God. And then, and then barbecue. I did a squid ink empanada where I, you know, it was a Star Wars day. So I, I used squid ink to color the dough. And I made a, a like a a Darth Vader empanada. We've we've done some some weird. So, well, well, most recently we did the the messy. We empanada. did the messy empanada, which was Argentine chorizo with uh, provoleta. You know, their provolone cheese uh-huh. and, uh, chimichurri. and chimichurri. And it's probably been the best selling empanada month yeah. we've ever done in our six years. So because you, of Messi, imagine. So you you got this bigger than life, the greatest flair of all time. And and we did his empanada and it went great and people loved it. So it wasn't just the gimmick of the name, but it was it, was it came out delicious. Flavorful. So to do something like that, there is you got you had to master two things, which is you have to understand ingredients, right? You have to understand all these different cultural ingredients that we grew up with here in right. Miami. And then there's the the understanding and mastery of the dough. Um, and that was what you dedicated yourself to, right? Is being able to get those things. So if someone is Chilean and they get in a Chilean empanada, like this is what I would find in Chile. And it has to be authentic, right? We're not going to put out something that's not going to taste like their country or, you know, where you're from. And, 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 and luckily with, you know, the background with, with my dad, I was able to develop, I had years to develop these recipes. And we made a lot of mistakes at Charlotte, you know, Michelle and I. Yeah, and luckily we still make mistakes, but they've been a lot less <laughs> ever since we opened. <laughs> you know, you we, we got to learn so much. That was our, our way of, of learning. Uh, you know, when, when we worked in the beach, and and we were able to to thankfully put out something pretty cool, right? And and, and, and Michelle, and, and, and your your design degree is very interesting because because you guys were doing the restaurant all yourselves, and we're still talking about Empanada Harry's, which was the first one. <laughs> um, but also the other one, you did a lot of the design of the restaurant, right? Like the painting on the wall, like you yeah, did design we have the, and painting I've on got the like some murals, and, and and we design all of our all of our menus as well, like even in the restaurant. And and let me tell you, for small businesses, that's a very costly thing to have, you know, to have your designer. And and since we're like a scratch kitchen, we're we're changing menus all the time. So for us, to be when you say have, scratch kitchen, obviously you mean you're making literally even the like the everything. the dough from the tequeños behind me. Exactly. You're making the pastrami inside and the dough outside and then the baking. And like so everything, everything is, is and and the cool thing is is that we get to have fun. So we change things and we try different things and so we're always constantly, you know, adding tapas or changing to and so because of the design, you know, I'm able to just go in, edit, change everything out, print it out and boom, we're ready for the public. So it gives us flexibility to be able to play in the kitchen as well. And that's the journalism degree. It is. That's where we learned that. (laughs) Right. Well, I I know that it hasn't all been easy. There was a a stretch there where you had a health scare. And I know that that really must have changed a lot of things in your life. And it it also affected the way that you run the business, uh, especially after you opened Smoke and Dough. Our guests today are Harry and Michelle Coleman. They're restaurant owners who met as journalism students. And today they own two restaurants in West Kendall, Empanada Harry's, and Smoke and Dough. Now, you guys opened Smoke and Dough. Uh, it was going to be like to the tail end of the pandemic, right? But you guys had, there was a couple things that led to the delaying of that restaurant, right? Like there was the pandemic. You're also, it was literally right next door. You took over the space next door. And at one point in there, um, Harry, you and I have talked about this. You you had a heart attack that very nearly killed you. You, yes. were, only, you were only 37 years old 37. at the time. Um, will you tell tell me about that a little bit? Because I know that you've talked about that being really a 
yeah, well, a shift the, point for you. The, the the pandemic was was tough, right? Because in the beginning, we were doing barbecue. We started in 2019. Mm-hmm. So at that time, there was pretty much no barbecue joints in Miami besides, you know, Shiver, you know. Uh, the old school ones. The old the, school ones, yeah. right? And, and like shorties or things like mm-hmm. that. There, there, there wasn't barbecue joints in Miami. So that's when we said, you know, we could do something cool, different and uh, be the first, right? And then the pandemic hit and we started doing barbecue Sundays, which that kept Empanada Harry's afloat. We were able to not have to let go of any of our workers. No, we stayed complete. We did due that. to the barbecue. We sold barbecue every weekend. And every weekend. We slept there. Yeah. What do you mean weekend. you slept there? Yeah. We, you slept I will at, sleep. At the, I say that loosely. <laughs> yeah. We, we, every Saturday night, Harry and I were there manning our pits because our smokers were outside. Oh, your, we your smokers have, were outside at yeah. the restaurant. Because yeah. we so, didn't have the restaurant space yet. No. So we, we were there every Saturday, you know, two o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning. And then, wow. and then you know, get ready for for the, service, you know. And then, for then, then, you know, then my sous chef would come in, Enrique, and he'll, you know, take over for the last second. We'll go and shower, shower. and come right back to <laughs> oh sell it. God. But, it was, you know, it was funny because we had done it for so long that there was even, like, some police officers, like, around 2 a.m. that they had been seeing us, and they'd come and check on us and be like, just make sure, you know. Yeah, you make sure you're okay. Your uh, brisket's not brisket's ready, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so we, we did that from March to October every weekend, kept us afloat, and... Not only did it help us develop recipes, right? Continue learning to how to do the best barbecue, but it, uh, you know, it was it showed us that we could do smoke and dough, and that people were gonna respond to it. So you guys got to like almost soft launch the restaurant. Yeah. It was like and a yeah. silver lining, right? Yeah, yeah, the silver linings. You had more time to keep working on your craft, and you went a lot of places, right? Like you went, you studied under like Steve Reichlin, who wrote the Barbecue Bible. Oh, uh, we, we got to meet him. We got to meet him, and he gave pick his brain a little pick bit. His brain yeah. a little bit. That was you great, went to you went to Oklahoma. You da- went David to- Bosca Butcher Barbecue. We got to to learn a lot from him, and yeah. and not so much the learning of how to barbecue. It was more about how to deal with barbecue and a business. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're smoking your, bis- your, your brisket for 15 hours. What do you do for then service? Then what do you do with it? <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's the, the, the logistics of it. Like, the it's logistics. not just the yeah. cooking the thing. How do you turn that into a business? Yes, exactly. and keep it. Right. Keep it How know, do you hold it, right? So those, those were the, the, the things that we needed to learn uh, better. And But you guys are seasoned business owners. Yes. So these are things that you can learn. All right, these are procedures. Mm-hmm. But the one thing you can't plan for is, like you said, when you got sick yeah well, when I, did that happen and, and and talk me through that that was yeah. i mean i so, think the pandemic harry holds the world on his shoulders and mm. it's funny I, I know some of his high school teachers that are actually customers now and they're like oh michelle he's always held the world on his shoulders imagine we're talking mm. about people that knew him from young and then uh after then the pandemic hit which was very very hard for mm. i think a everybody and you know again we were like is our business gonna fail are we done what are we gonna do is the world ending and then we finally we moved past that those every weekends was really hard yes and then we went into building smoke and dough from zero it was a nail place it was a nail place so it was from zero and i just think it was it was too much it just became too much so you know you're you're building from zero you have inspectors you're dealing with you know, the plumber is, remember it's the pandemic still is going on. So the plumber's like, I can't find the pipes. And the air conditioning guy is like, I can't find, you know, the tubing that I need for the air because there were supplies were in, in 
you know. Right, there was a sp- supply chain yeah. issues supply for everything. Yeah, things were more expensive. And then, so you guys took a little break. You went like on vacation. You're like, mm-hmm. I need a mental break. Yeah, for a well, weekend. <laughs> well, we, we, we finally built out the restaurant. Mm-hmm. It took a little start, bit longer. It starts cranking open, yeah. And, and we're, you know, the kitchen, we're ready. And we're like, I think we could open in three weeks. So we went to Naples to, you know, to... Disconnect. Disconnect a little bit. Blow off a little steam. Blow off a little steam. We we rented one of those boats, those U-boats. I think they're called U-boats. And uh, we were literally in the middle of like Sanibel Ocean. And uh, he raised anchor and it was really choppy out. And he's like, man, I feel, you know, this this pain. It's really bad. You know, I threw up. I felt an insane amount of pain. It was really bad. And, and then I was like, look, we're going to have to you know, stop somewhere because I don't know what to do. Like, did you pull a muscle? Like, you know, and then you could laugh now, but you were like, I think this is what it would feel like if you were having a heart attack. He literally says this mm. on the boat. Wow. I, I jumped in the ocean and, you know, the ocean's deep. It's hard to swim when, when it's very, I, ju- I jumped in because I was thinking maybe um, I'm, I'm dehi- uh, like uh, I'm nauseous yeah, from yeah, the boat or something, or, you yeah. know, seasick. Oh. So, yeah, then I called you know, I laugh about it now. I'm there with a, in the middle of a heart attack, swimming in the middle of the ocean. Swimming in oh the ocean. God. And, uh, you know, we, 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 stopped. we finally found the Sanibel Island. Luckily, it was connected through a causeway. Yeah, yeah the ambulance got there in minutes. So you called? You called I the, called. I never dialed called 911 in my life. I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. Like, what do I do? And she's like, where are you? I go, I don't know. I'm in the ocean. I'm, I'm on a boat. And so, you know, right away they pinned my phone. They were there in minutes. I mean, it was yeah. really fast. And then, you know, this boat was rented. Harry goes to me, look, just call the owners of the boat and have them pick it up and we'll meet at the hospital. And right. so you then Harry this... goes off in the ambulance and then I'm staying in the boat. And then this is where our stories kind of split. Right. And our two experiences began. Right. And so. And the, the, the lady didn't say I was having a heart attack. So she goes, it's a little bit weird. Your, you know, your heart rate. I'm just going to take you in. So I told Michelle, you know, stay there. We'll meet in an hour and. We'll party later. <laughs> right, right. I'm, probably, I'm just going to get checked out here. I probably have some. And then I guess halfway, because I remember I was leaving the causeway from what I could see. And that's when I felt my light go. I literally felt my light go down. Uh, you felt like you're, you're, you're slipping. kind of slipping away. And that's when she goes, oh, my God, you're having a heart attack. And that's when I was like, what is she talking about? You know, wow. here in this situation. So luckily... An amazing, amazing uh, first responder who, I, she started giving me stuff, you know, started giving me stuff and it, it woke me up. She, she, you know, she called the hospital. They were there waiting for me outside. And then, you know, the, the doctor told me I'm having a heart attack. I go, can you please confirm <laughs> what you're telling me? He goes, yeah, you know, you're having a heart attack. We need to operate you right now. And I'm like, I need to wait for my wife, you know. And he goes, no, you, he goes, every second right now is, you never know. Wow. And took me in, you know, operated me, and you I know, was able to get there right before he came out. So it was, you know. and it turned out that you had like a really rare, like a like it's they what? call it the the widowmaker, the, the widowmaker, which I didn't know, which was a lovely. Which name, what does that right? mean? What like, it, like what does it? So mean? it's your main artery of the heart, and it was one hundred percent blocked. Oh my god! When the doctor tells you, you know, there might be somebody kind of looking out for you up there. Wow! It's because you you had lost. Your grandfather, thus with a through a heart attack. So, right? so yeah, my, my, my dad started doing uh, my great grandfather. My dad started doing research, and my cousins also have heart issues in in Chile that they live in Chile. And you know, we we've been trying to dig in more about it, but obviously, my great grandfather was a, a long time ago. So, you know, there's Just before you were born. Yeah, I know, and there's not too much um information. Information, I guess. yeah. 
Oh, and, but, uh, and obviously the doctors were saying this has to be hereditary based on, you know, I wasn't yeah, you didn't have you, didn't, you weren't overweight. Yeah. You didn't have some weird uh, symptoms, you didn't have cholesterol or anything. Those things. No. It was just a genetic type. Was, of, and so you you're so tell me about what the re- you recover from this. How does that change your life? You like you now you now have two restaurants. You're, you're obviously married. You have two daughters, mm-hmm. two young daughters. They were both yes. probably under 10 at the time. Yeah. Um, how did that change your life? It changed everything, everything. And. This happened October 2nd. Mm-hmm. It's my second birthday, right? That's mm-hmm. what we said, October 2nd. And, uh, you know, we're about to open. So obviously we can't open anymore. And we have a Thanksgiving coming up. And we do about 120 turkeys every year for Thanksgiving uh, th- that we get catering orders. So you, it's like you so, rested for six weeks. So and my then goal just... was just I need to get better in four weeks. And, yeah. and luckily, you know, your mind is such a powerful tool. And... I have no side effects from the heart attack. I have. I didn't lose any sensation anywhere. You know, everything is. Yeah, and we changed a lot of things. And I think that in this industry, I mean, not to say that I'm happy it happened because that's a horrible thing to say, but I think that we change a lot of things in our life, even as business owners, that we wouldn't have done before, to still have quality. Tell me about that. Tell me those. That it, I've cleared a wake up call is what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Completely. And so, how did that? How did that change things? Well, so. Our whole thing was always 24-7, right? We have to be open every day, all day, every day, all day. And so we finally decided, okay, you know what? We're going to close Monday, Tuesdays, the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, we now are closing the last week in December, which we never did. So we do our, we're going to be doing, we do our Thanksgiving catering. We do our Christmas catering. And then we close shop. And you shut it down. And we shut both places down. We would have never done that. Never. And and just little things. I think even just between you and me, what do we have like five date nights a week? Yeah, well, and they're home, believe it or not. You know, well, like, we, we we hired more workers. Yeah. You know, we hired more people. We needed more more staff. And you let go, I think. Too. And I let go. I was yeah. always afraid to give recipes. It was it was you know these the recipes. Not only did I work hard, or or my dad brought it from Venezuela from the eighties. You mm-hmm. know, sometimes you're like. If they have my tequeño dough recipe, you know, if, if, if they know how to make the flan, if they, it, and, and it was always a struggle, especially now with my rubs for barbecue, you know, the doughs. And, and I said, you know what, I need to start giving recipes. Trusting. Trusting and, people that you worked with yeah. to, to help make running the business exactly. easier, more, more, more um, livable. More, I, more I wanted my hands to be on every empanada. Mm. Let's put it that way. Mm. Every empanada coming out or everything, I wanted to make sure it was perfect. And, you know, I had to let go a little bit. And luckily, we have an amazing staff and I have staff members. You know, my main guy has been with me over six years now since we opened Empanada Harry's. Yeah. And we have staff that are three, four, five years with us. So, you know, I, I trust them and I trust that not just trust them with the recipe, but trust them that it's going to come out good. Right. Yeah. You don't want somebody that had an empanada when we opened go, ah, you know, Six years in, the empanada is not as good as it was in the beginning. Yeah. You want it to be better as good. every time. And, and better. And, and that was our fear with the barbecue. Yeah. I didn't want people to be like, eh, you know, his empanadas are great, but the barbecue, eh, mm-hmm. mediocre. Right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm curious what it's done for you guys personally to be able to reshift your life to think that, like, you can't live and die with every empanada, with every piece of brisket going out. 
for your lives as as parents, as yeah. business owners, as well. That's also part of like closing that last week. Like our, you know, our kids and our kids are amazing. They they love the restaurant. They love being there. Hmm. You would think that they would want to just sleep. No, they're like, no, no, no. I want to be there. And our older one lately, she she wants to clean tables, and she's like, when can I start serving, mom? I'm like, okay, you're you're, you're not 12. Yet. You're gonna turn 12. <laughs> Give me a couple more years. But you know, then closing that last week. Now we can plan trips with them. You know, and just get them excited about it. Like this year, we're we're gonna take them to Oaxaca, Mexico. We're gonna dive into you know culture, Mexican culture, with them, and we can plan it. You know, before it was very difficult because you know we would be open, we would do New Year's catering, you know, or if somebody had called out, we would have to be there. And so now we're we're making the time for our family. And well, you know, every kids. Christmas morning we were there. You know, and mm. that's something that came from from my dad. My, you know, my you know, the bakery's never closed. Three sixty five, mm-hmm. right? Never closed, and and that's the same mentality we have. And and look, it's 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 good and it's bad, right? We have, I think, great work ethic, because you know we work harder, and and our staff, because it's tough on them too, because they have to work those days. But we're there with them. Right. You know, we were always, you know, we're there with them. So the, you know, we still work the twenty fourth because we do a lot of catering for Nochebuena. Mm-hmm. That's a big day, but, yeah, for but, sure. But we're there with them, you know, side by side with their staff. You know, we, we want to make sure I'm not just going to have people there and, and me be sitting at home, you know, not, you know, helping out. So, so yeah, we're we, not those owners that are going to walk in in a suit, <laughs> right? Just, right. you know, kind of point, point fingers things, and right. see what's going on here. No, we're, we're in there. And I think that that grit is very important in this industry. Well, well pe- people always ask, you know, lately, I think Michelle's been getting it. Uh, when are you guys going to open? you know, the next smoking door and but not Harry somewhere else. And then what do you tell that table every time when they ask you that? I tell them, why do you like it here so much? Oh, because the food and, and you and Harry, how are we supposed to replicate that? Mm. Because sometimes people don't realize that it's the food is amazing, but it's the energy, the energy that's in there that, that us being there and our staff and the love and the passion, you cannot replicate that in several places. So you know what? Right now, we're really happy with what we have. And it's interesting. You mentioned that your daughters love being there. I think that that's probably a uh, it's probably a reflection that they see you guys having a good time, a yes. balanced life, and a good time yeah. when you're there. Yeah. And I'm sure that like does that reflect on your employees? Like, do you have longtime employees that have been there since? A lot of them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, they've seen their kids grow up. They 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 we've seen our kids since they were five years old. And they're, they're, and that's another difficult part of this industry is it's that right. A lot of people complain about you know turnover and oh my god, who are we gonna find and Luckily, we've, we've found, I mean, don't get me wrong, we have some people that will come in and out, but our core team has been with us for a while. And right. I think that that's because, you and know, we're like a family. At the end <laughs> of the day, we're, we, we try to, you know, we try to all be a family, right? It's, you know, there's, there's not, it's not always butterflies, right? Mm-hmm. But, but we try to be a family and, and I already see our kids, you know, they're, they're, they've become snobby food kids. <laughs> right because they're used to you know eating good foods or going out we're going to mexico and we're, we're doing food seminars and we did that in in paris too when we took them to france it's a working vacation yeah also. it's like we you know we, and they go and they learn and they want to learn these yeah. things and and i already you know i've already we've already discussed it if one of them or both of them want to join the business we're gonna support that's the, them. that's support that second them. smoking dough There's, oh my god yes <laughs> well let me ask you this you know, you guys have obviously been recognized for your work. Uh, the New York Times puts you on their list of, of 50 places they're excited about. Um, what is next for you guys? Like, what is it? What is it exciting for you to do next um, within within your work? You know, right now we gotta deliver. Mm. Right, we're on that list. Mm. We have to deliver. Yeah, we gotta we're make exposed. sure yeah. that if people are coming in, 
they we deliver the what you know what people are saying about us right so so every time we just our our goal right now is to focus and and deliver the best possible yeah. and grow food. smoke and dough and continue to to grow in Panama Harry's that's right now that's where our, our heart there, is there, there's people that want to open a thousand you know restaurants oh i want to you know i want an empanada harry's everywhere and that's not our and goal that, and that's fine i mean for some people that's their goal and maybe at one point we thought about we it. thought about it at yeah. least you know in miami oh man several empanada harry's in miami and obviously after my health scare and after prioritizing family and our kids are growing up and we love and hanging our, out with our yeah. kids and our art i think yeah so so we our priority is is we love our neighborhood we our kids go to school there we work there we live there and the, our priority is that is right that. Yeah. yeah, and that's that, and like you said, the the what you guys create is an art form, is a thing yeah. that you're bringing. Harry, Michelle, thank you so much for spending the time with us. Congratulations on all the success and thank at you, Smoke thank you Dope. so much for having us, Carlos. Our guests today were Harry and Michelle Coleman. They're the owners of Smoke and Dough Barbecue Restaurant in Miami. It was just added to the New York Times annual list of restaurants they're excited about. And that's Sundown for Thursday, September 21st. Leslie Ovai Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News, and Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Mertz is WLRN's VP of Radio. Engineering our board is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up next week on the show... Yvonne Lee Odom ended segregation at public schools in Delray Beach when she became the first black student at an all-white high school. She has a legacy in the community as an activist and teacher. Oh, and she's also the tennis star Coco Goff's grandmother. I'm Carlos Frias. Good vibes only. Public Media.